Happy Thanksgiving as I continue my Mix 100 exclusively on Sci-Fi Talk Plus, but being brought to you here for the holidays. Here is number 68, my time capsule, episode 380. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. So let's continue with Time Capsule Episode 380 at number 68. Hi, this is Time Capsule Episode 380. First, let's look at tomorrow's flight that features dinosaurs and an airplane flight that mysteriously vanishes. And then what ends up happening? A fossil is excavated, and next to it is a modern passenger jet. Figure this one out. I spoke to the authors M.E. Ellington and Stephen Stifle. So, Martin, you've collaborated before. Uh, how did how does this process work? Do you uh, do you do calls like this where we're on Zoom, or do you do work rather email? And do you trade off chapters, or how does it, how does this one work? Well, this was really interesting because I met Stephen. I had a literary agent in New York, and um, initially, I'd met Stephen because he worked as an editor on a book which was became eventually became published called The Marshallis Incident. And because of the work Stephen had done on that, which was really good, I went away and rewrote it and got a publishing deal off the back of that. I asked my agent to send Stephen uh, yesterday's flight, which, as Stephen's mentioned, was the original sort of premise to tomorrow's flight. But I was never really fully happy with yesterday's flight. I always thought there was a lot more story in it, which is why I'd asked my agent who I'm no longer with to send it to Stephen when Stephen came back with his thoughts everything just added up and it just seemed great and so we decided rather than have a writer editor relationship again we would go in as co-authors and, and write it together so we're 6,000 miles apart I'm in England <laughs> in Los Angeles um, so really it was just a question Steve would write a few chapters and send them over to me we would then get together on Skype originally Uh, because Zoom wasn't a thing back then. And uh, we would discuss it and go back and work it again. And, and this process carried on, what, it must be about four years it took us to to get the novel together and write it, because it is a very complicated story, but we've managed to write it in a way that's easy to follow, as much as it's quite complicated. And we wanted to do a lot of research to make sure that we got all the aspects, right, the dinosaurs, how, for instance, even down to how much water a commercial aircraft will carry, because that's very important if you crash somewhere, the amount of water you've got on board and, and all these kind of things. So it really was a true collaboration uh, across the miles. And in 2019, I went across to Los Angeles and worked with Stephen for a week, although we didn't get a lot done because I was mostly interested in doing the touristy stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and that's that's really how we've we've managed to do it. Did you visit the La Brea Tar Pits? Famous I did. I went to the La Brea Tar Pits. I did the Peterson Museum. I did the Getty, which was breathtaking. Um, and I wanted to do the observ observatory, but I just ran out of time. Yeah, and I plan to go this year to do it, but COVID and yes, so I'll get there. Yeah, you but will. Steve was very kind to take me back to the airport, but not until I begged him or hounded him, more likely, to take me to the Hollywood sign so I could get a photograph. Oh, <laughs> bless him, he, he, uh, he took me to the Hollywood sign. I got a photograph of it, and then I think, thankfully, he dropped me off at the airport and, and uh, recovered from the visit. So, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I was just going to add uh, my two cents on that, too. One of the things that we, we did that's different than what Martin had written initially was we, we broke the book down. So one chapter is in the past and then the next chapter will be in the present. So we kind of go back and forth. We have some, we follow that pretty rigorously, but within chapters, every time we shift a, from one character's point of view to another's, we have a subchapter. And that was an interesting thing in putting the structure together. And that helped a lot, actually, because we were able to get comments from every character. So it's told from about 15 to 20 different character points of view, which was part of the complication. Look for Tomorrow's Flight wherever you get your content. I recently spoke to Graham Greene, the Dancers with Wolves star, who has a new movie called The Dark Foe. And we also reflected back on Defiance. One other thing I'd love to ask you about your role on the TV series Defiance. You know, again, that raised some issues, which I really, really liked. You can't, why it didn't last, it's not on the actors at all. Uh, you know, I thought the cast was fantastic. And, and I've met a lot of them and covered uh, the show when it was on. So, but I just liked your family dynamic, you know, your role in it, and and really this, this melding of these different cultures in this one place in the future. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, we had fun doing that. I enjoyed going to work every day, but they, uh, in the last season, they killed me off. Yes. And uh, they killed my whole family off. Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, uh, which was all the Canadian actors anyway. When the, 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 the remaining cast, had, you know, you guys just committed racial genocide on national television, international television. Do you think anybody's going to watch this from then on? No. It got too expensive to make. Yeah. Too expensive to run. The uh, hardware that was involved with it, the gaming and whatnot, it just fell apart. So, Yeah, I mean, sci-fi was pretty much paying for those rights in addition to the production. And yeah. that was like way too much for them. Definitely was. I say they were just starting out reasonably new right now the uh, things like amazon uh, uh crave and all they're getting into making their own movies yeah and i just finished uh, one called goliath with billy bob thornton oh yeah great series yeah a whole bunch but they said it's on crave and one of the deals that they managed to get is they got somebody who wanted to direct from crave to come in and direct an episode and the guy was doing six seven takes of everything and everybody said what the heck is this guy doing <laughs> what do you mean I said, have you been on set lately and he said i just got here and billy said this guy's doing like six seven takes of everything it's just ruining it and he's wasting time you know in that Six or seven takes, we had a, could have shot one scene completed, you know. So we just didn't have the luxury to do all that stuff. And they didn't realize that. So the next day, the guy came in, he did two takes maximum. Three if something really went bad. That's, I, I don't know why. It's, it's not a hobby. It's my living. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, actually... Uh, Defiance, I believe, is on Amazon, uh, so it, it's still out there. So, yeah, I mean, people can still see it. That's the beauty of streaming is all these shows are have a new life. 
Dark Poe, how do you reflect on that role? How is that like for you as a whole? Oh, Dark Foe was, uh, it was interesting. It was so evil that you had to be funny when you're not on the cameras, not rolling. Like I said, getting getting home at night or in the morning and just letting it all go. Leave that, leave, leave your work at work. You know, there's plenty of time to pick up the script and learn the language, learn the uh, dialogue, learn the scene. But basically, the best thing you can possibly ever do is pay attention to what the other actor's doing. Rule number one, if you want to be an actor. Yeah, yeah, you you have to play off someone. You know, uh, it's it's very rare that you don't. So unless you're doing a monologue or or by yourself in a scene. So, uh, yeah, it's you have to to have a scene partner, I think, is what brings out what you can do. Yeah, yeah, but everybody was flexible the whole time. I mean, it was after a while Maria started to slow down and let us do our thing. She said, "Drop the reins, let the horses run." Look for a dark foe wherever you get your digital content. Additionally, I believe Defiance is out there too. Interesting movie, six forty-five. Is it a time loop science fiction movie, or is it a horror movie, or maybe a little bit of both? I spoke to Augie Duke and Michael Reed, who are the two leads, and their director, Craig Singer. Basically, the way I see it is the relationship really is the core of this film. Speak to that and, uh, and developing that relationship during the course of the movie. Well, I was just enjoying how much you were saying you love the film. I would like you should interview yourself so we could just listen to you talk about how much you love it. Um, <laughs> I, I look at it as a romance. It's kind of a romance. We're, it's like a shaggy dog story where things go from bad to worse. And in this case, they, they go terribly awry for young Bobby and Jules on the island of Bog Grove. So, you know, I, I think it would have been easy to, to, to deliver the cheap thrills. And I think we wanted to elevate the material as best we could collectively. We, we did a lot of rewriting uh, internally and on the day to try to keep it a little bit sharper and smarter than than the average uh, time loop film, which has become quite fashionable lately and kind of sort of a cottage industry. When we wrote originally the 645, there were, really there hadn't been this, this um, uh, proliferation of time loop films. And subsequently there's been a lot. So we not only had to be different and differentiate ourselves tonally, but we had the challenge of, uh, you know, facing the day that repeats without it becoming too monotonous and repetitive. So, you know, it's all about the acting, the performances that, that get the credit there. And- well, we also wanted the relationship to be authentically real. And because we are real life partners, I think in that, in that direction, you know, so that yeah. we yeah. wanted to be real as any relationship could be. There's more time capsule. So stay tuned. Let's get back to Time Capsule on the SFT Podcast Network. Michael, wow, that is quite a journey for this character for you. Uh, I mean, talk about an arc. Oof. Really? Yeah, thank you. It's, it was uh, definitely, you know, you don't want you know, actors chiming in all the time, but this was one of my favorite roles by far uh, that I've worked on. It gave me the challenges. I worked with the crew that, that and cast that I wanted to. And getting to share this deep relationship, this kind of complex, 
dirty relationship on, on screen with my real life partner was amazing because you don't need to find in some stranger that you're working meeting, right? So there's just so many levels already with us. And uh, I'm sure that was a load off of Craig's mind also that he didn't have to uh, pussyfoot around it's things and elements. It was already there. Because I knew individually I was crazy about them as people and we'd become quite friendly um, putting this film together. And I knew as a couple, they work, obviously there's chemistry, but that always doesn't naturally translate to the, to the screen. And while individually I knew how talented they were, it was a little bit of a, a gamble because once you get on set and you're, you're there on the day, you, you, it, it could have gone differently. So we were really fortunate that their chemistry kind of, uh, it really translated from, from personal to professional. Yeah, it could have gone terribly. It, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you're right, Craig. Absolutely could have gone totally the opposite. We could have butted heads depending on the relationship you're in. Um, things could have been different, complicated that didn't need to be because of that relationship. So, yeah, we were on the, the good spectrum side. Of but the thing. thing is, we were allowed to butt heads though in this relationship because it wasn't like this new romantic sort of relationship that's new. It's like we've been together. So the history was there. So in a way, butting heads sort of good if we did on set, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for sure. It's a good point, Augie. Yeah. What's the challenge of probably what you would do is just to save time, shoot in the same location, but shoot different scenes just to save time. But you're doing different days, literally. So starting with you, Craig, how do you keep this those scenes fresh? So you go from one to the other and, and it's I tell you, if you could cut it together and just show all those scenes in one location, you can see how their relationship evolves. You can make a movie out of that easily. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think we were really mindful of the fact that um, the repetitive nature of, of this, the plot and the story could could be a little bit overbearing. So we, we wanted the days to each have their own kind of DNA, and I think they do. I think the film has a really nice balance of not only the days, but then we open it up a little bit and we have different locations such as the jail and the bar and um, the exteriors. So I, I feel that there's a nice kind of a, a well-balanced meal, if you will, in terms of the film. It's, you know, there's a almost a three hour version of 645, which is my favorite version, which will probably never see the light of day. Maybe one day we'll re-release it, but I think it's a very lean and mean film. It's very economical. Um, there's a nice balance to it. And uh, yeah, while we did film a lot in the bed and breakfast, we, we, you know, we do get outside of that location. And I think audiences are going to have a, a hell of a lot of fun, not only watching the film, but even potentially revisiting the film. Look for 645 available on VOD. The Walking Dead is starting their season 11, and that is their last. I have Josh McDermott, who is Eugene, and Callum McAuliffe, who is Alden, as they reflect on their character arcs. I, I wanted to ask, to me, the show has always been about choices and the choices a character makes, whether you leave a certain place, who lives or dies. Talk about that, how, how it's affected your characters and the choices you've had to make, you know, not this season only, but also during the course of the series. I think that uh, when we first meet Eugene, you know, he's carrying around this lie. Yeah, that he he had the cure. He knows what how the apocalypse started and he knows how to stop it. That's a choice that he made to save himself. Um, He didn't really care about other people. 
as uh, as he's making that choice. But as we've seen him grow and seen him, uh, you know, become a stronger individual that uh, is starting to think of others, each choice that he makes from then on, he's thinking about more and more people and even people that he hasn't even met, people that aren't, you know, he's making choices for Rosita, you know, that, that benefit Rosita and her baby Coco before Coco's even born. Like he's, you know, thinking that far ahead and that shows the growth that he's had, um, you know, as an individual. But the interesting thing is the choices that people make, you know, it's not, Hey, I want to, um, I want to bake some bread today and, and who's impacted there. It's like, I'm going to bake some bread. And if I don't do that, people are dying. Like it's the stakes are so much higher with every decision that's made. And if you continue to only think about yourself, the way Eugene did when we first met him, you know, your days are numbered and so is everybody else. And you become a liability and you end up taking people down. I mean, we even heard that there were people who died trying to protect Eugene because he had the cure. I mean, that's, that says it all right there. So if, if you were only thinking about yourself and the choices you make only benefit yourself, then everyone's going to die. And I, I think that's something that our characters try and recognize within each other. Like, where's the selfishness? If, if you were a completely selfish person, then, you know, you're going to get us all killed. And that, that's something that we want to stay, stay away from, to steer clear from. Something I have to remind Josh of all the time. If you stay this selfish, you're going to get us all killed. I mean, how many times have I told you that? Every day. Countless. It's countless. Several times a day. It's true. Alden, you literally questioned uh, choices that were made right in front of you, in particular in the in the first part of the uh, the two parter. For 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 much of uh, Alden's uh, time that we've seen on the show, anyway, he's sort of made an effort at, at a kind of a secular maintenance of like a, a, at least a moral consistency. I think he's tried to, he's tried to remain unchanged by the violence of the new world. Um, and, and we see him succeed in that for the most part and, and keeping a hold of his humanity and of his kindness and of his honesty. Uh, but in the face of this kind of like uh, this matter, antimatter explosion that's happening in front of him for these first couple of episodes, I think he's kind of, confronted with the reality that he has to he has to change a little bit and he has to reflect what he see if that makes sense oh, most especially good. especially especially with maggie who for so long has been a, a sort of a rock to him and has almost been uh, what's allowed him to be so morally uh, unchanging look for the walking dead on amc sunday nights the season began on august 22nd I actually have a new season for Time Capsule in the works that'll premiere on January 1st. What's interesting about it is going to be a little different. Instead of having one episode from a certain year, it's going to kind of go back in time and forward in time. So here is a preview of that as we go back in time with Cliff Curtis of Fear the Walking Dead Season 1. From the roundtables at San Diego Comic-Con I attended is Cliff Curtis, who plays teacher Travis Manawa. His character is romantically involved with Kim Dickens' character of Madison Clark. He has an ex-wife and son who he's having problems with, while Madison has two children of her own. He starts off by saying that he feels Madison Clark is really the alpha in the series. 
Well, I've been calling her my goddess and my lioness because she's got the alpha does not come from a, a masculine or machismo. It's not like a woman donning the masculine. I'm going to be a badass, kickass. She's a lioness. She's a goddess who will protect what she loves, and I think that's very, very powerful for a woman to have a role where she can manifest that unapologetically and to have a character in a male that adores that in a woman and supports it. And, and is very attracted to that. I, I'm attracted to that as a man. I think it's beautiful when women are in their power and are, are not in, not inhibited by um, their feminine power, you know, and feel that it's a masculine thing to um, be a badass. I don't want to, you know, they're re-coining re the phrase, badass is no longer, you know, the domain of the... the, 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 the the masculine, there's a feminine sort of aspect to it. And I think she's absolutely beautiful at maintaining this tenderness and that, that what she does when she is a lioness to protect them comes from love and there's a fragility and the omega to me of that that I'm doing is is being able to, the masculine, being able to see um, that that's important and valuing that and wanting to protect that and so to say to say that I need to be the one person in her life that can allow her to be in her power and to, to, to protect that tenderness because it's you don't you don't you don't want to kill you don't want to kill what is tender in humanity for the sake of being powerful I don't think I think it's a mistake myself and Travis it, it is what made me feel that I had something to contribute to the to the show because I understood that I don't necessarily understand the world of genre it's not my natural habitat as an artist so but I do understand relationships and, and sort of and the value of love and what we'll do for love you know and, and exploring those types of themes and so the the show is firmly grounded in that not just the, this kind of romantic or love but also the love of our children and the desire to, to build a family a new a, we're getting we're at a second phase we're getting a a round two second chance at building a family in the show which I think a lot of families of teenagers kids you know teenagers have had parents and families fall apart or separate or losses have taken losses that second shot at creating a family at, at a time which is just not conducive to building anything at the same time I feel like it's too soon to say and then I want to see what the response is to the first season to sort of determine like which is our audience because we might have an audience which you know some of that other audience but it may not be and, and I don't know I don't know I just I just want to I'm interested to see where things land after we've completed our first season because at the moment it's a lot of hype and, and a lot of kind of like possibility which is nice um, but yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see you next year yeah <laughs> well it's great that we got a green light for a second season out the gate yeah so it's nice yeah I, I think the reason why genre stuff is so so uh, loved and, and and enjoyed by audiences is because there is because it, it's divisive there are clear devices which audiences love it's like there's a hallway down there 
there, and at the end of the hallway is a door, and the door is locked. So don't go down the hallway, and do not open that door, whatever you do. It's fun, right? And I think that we get to have What's our cake and... Yeah, I'm not, I can't tell you that. I gotta, I gotta go see. No, don't do it. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, please don't do it. So it's like, so we get signed up to get our, have, have our cake and eat it, and I think storytelling and entertainment, films and television, you know, the rules, wish the shackles are broken. We're, we're free to blend genre with with uh, drama. There's no rules anymore. I, th- I think less and less, as long as it's done well. That's the only rule now. It's like if you if you respect the rules of genre and you respect the traditions of uh, dramatic storytelling and grounded authenticity, you're allowed to mix it too. So you can be entertaining and and poignant at the same time. And I think audiences are more sophisticated now than they were perhaps. And they can they can handle it. Before it'd be like, oh no, genre understand. Genre audiences can't understand complexities of relationship. They don't. They don't get that. They don't want real relationships. That's not the case anymore. They analyze these things. Like they, they really are emotionally engaged by what's going to happen to Madison and her kids. They really care. They're not just after like. They're not just like 80 slasher movies. Mine was Nightmare on Elm Street. Was I was shaken when I walked out of that as a kid. I was. I, I thought. I, I thought that reality had shifted and changed on me. It really affected me. I, 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 to the I day, I'm sort of like a bit heebie-jeebie about genres. To this day, it gives me that. Oh, Jaws. Is that genre? I thought that was real. That's a hard film. Is it? It's a hard film. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Right? I thought it was just a real draw. I took that as real. It's, it's you know real adjacent. When I was a kid, I wasn't watching that as a as a genre. I just thought that was real, like the shots in the water. I eat people. And Sci-Fi Talk Plus makes a great podcasting gift, not only for yourself but also for friends and family. There's over 800 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs like the Mix 100 we'll be hearing on this uh, marathon. The best part: it's free. Click on the link in the show notes for free lifetime access. For episode 68, Time Capsule Episode 380, this is Tony Tolado.